Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you. And good to have all of you who are joining us from all around the world this morning, live stream. We're glad that you are joining us as well here in Gilbert, Arizona. I want to say as the pastor, thank you to the large group of folks that came out to decorate the church yesterday. Really appreciate it. You guys did a great job. And uh, we're just so thankful for all of you that gave up your morning yesterday to come and do that. Speaking of Christmas, three weeks from today is Christmas Eve. And don't forget, we're just having our normal morning services on Christmas Eve this year, 9 and 11. Both of them will have candlelight at the end, but we're just having two morning services on Sunday, December the 24th. And then I want to put something else on your radar starting in December. And that is the first Sunday of 2024, January the 7th. As you may have been hearing lately, I really believe God is calling us to a greater level of faithfulness to his house. And what better way could we start out the new year than making sure that we are all here on Sunday, January the 7th. So I'm going to just want to encourage you, if at all possible, Let's all try to be here that Sunday to start out the new year. And not just that Sunday, but let's make sure that 2024 is a year that we are as faithful to God's house as we've ever been. We've got 52 opportunities a year to do this as God's people. And God is saying, I need the people of the Oasis Church to be as faithful as they've ever been to the house of God. Make 2024 that year that you are as faithful as you've ever been to God's house. Speaking of that, we just have two more Wednesday nights in the year, this coming Wednesday and the 13th. Uh, so we want to finish strong, and we had a great turnout this past Wednesday as well. All right, we're going to continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. And this morning, we are in Psalm 7, a psalm that David wrote. Psalm 7. And God wants to use this psalm to transform our doubts, our despair, our discouragement, our disillusionment into hope. He wants to give us hope today. David needed to find that hope in the midst of his circumstances, and he needed to live in that hope. And when you and I find the hope that only God can give us, and we are living in that hope, that hope then needs to be expressed in praise and worship of our God. And we see that at the end of Psalm 7. We see at the very beginning of this psalm sort of the context, if you will. You notice even before you get to verse 1, it says that this is a musical composition by David, which he sang. Don't forget, David is a worshiper. David 
sings to the Lord. You and I need to make sure that we are increasing our singing to the Lord, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays when we come together, and that certainly is something I want to continue to encourage all of you to do, because listen, folks, when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be singing throughout all of eternity. So get used to it down here, because when you get up there, if you didn't sing down here, you're going to sing up there, okay? And singing, those should be something that we do every day of our lives to the Lord, you see. So David was a singer as well as a warrior and a soldier. But notice it says, he sang these words to the Lord concerning a Benjamite named Cush. Now, once again, just as we've seen throughout David's journey, after he was anointed as a young man by Samuel to become the future king of Israel, he had this 12 to 15 year uh, time span in his life where he was running for his life from Saul and dealing with all other kinds of struggles and challenges and obstacles and opposition. And one of those is a man by the name of Cush. We don't know a lot about Cush, but as I have sort of tried to piece things together uh, and, and taken what little bit is out there about him, Here's where I have landed and why David is having trouble with this man. And, and can I say this too? He comes from the same tribe as David, which again sort of like, you know, adds that extra little bit of twist to the knife in David's back. Cush, I believe, was someone that was in the court of Saul who had Saul's ear. And even though I'm not absolving Saul of responsibility here, he certainly is responsible for who he was and for how he was treating David. I believe that Cush was one of those people that was poisoning and continuing to poison the mind of Saul against David. There's always those people, right? That, that they, they can't let things die. They just got to keep... Things stirred up, if you will. In fact, they're not happy when things are at peace, even though God calls us to be a peaceful people and to live quiet and, and peaceable lives. There, there's always those people that keep trying to stir things up, and, and they sort of keep saying things to others to keep things stirred up. That was Cush. That was Cush. So notice how David responds. First of all, he again, as we've seen, calls out or cries out to the Lord. And he starts by saying, oh Lord, my God. You'll see this phrase again repeated in verse three. Oh Lord, Jehovah, my God, Elohim. Notice David is saying, God, I'm coming to you because I have a personal relationship with you. You're not just a God. You're not just up there. No, you're my God. We do this together. We, we have a relationship. We have a partnership. We have communion with each other. We have fellowship. You and I have to start there because the things that David asks of God, the things that David says to God, even about his enemy Cush and other enemies in this psalm are words that only you would speak to someone that you're close to, that you're intimate with, 
that you have a relationship with. You and I understand that. There are things that you will say to a close and dear friend that you won't just say to anyone. And there's things you would ask of a close and dear friend that you wouldn't just ask of anyone because of that relationship. You and I have to see that in this psalm. Some of the things that David asks and says, you might be taken aback by. But when we understand how close David was to his God, we can begin to understand that because, again, you and I have relationships like that in our life where we would be more bold and more confident in asking certain people in our life certain things than we would just an acquaintance or somebody that we barely know. And I have to say this. I cannot assume that everyone who's listening to me this morning and even those of you who are in this auditorium, that that you have a relationship with God. So I just need to say to you, do you? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Is he your God? Not just, you know, the God of your friends and your other family members, but is he your personal God? Because the Bible tells us there are many people down through history who think they have a relationship with God. But when judgment day comes, they don't. There was never a time where they asked sincerely and genuinely Jesus Christ to be their personal savior. And they do not have a personal relationship and walk with God. That, that's where it all starts, folks, because if you don't have that, then really the rest of everything that we're going to talk about today isn't even going to probably make much sense to you. We have to have a relationship with God. That's where it starts. That's where everything starts from. And notice what David goes on to say then in verse one. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I have taken shelter. You're my refuge. You're my hiding place. You're my safe place. In fact, in the Hebrew, David is saying, in you, God, I trust. We've known in our country, we have that on our monetary coinage. In God, we trust. Well, David is declaring that. God, I trust in you. I trust in you. Hope begins with the relationship with God. But that hope then begins to grow and build as you and I learn to trust God in all of our circumstances and situations in life, no matter what they are. And David is declaring that from the very beginning. I have a relationship with you, God, and because of that close, intimate relationship with you, I have learned and I'm learning I can trust you. And so I'm just going to declare that again. I'm speaking to myself, David is saying. I'm trusting you, God, in this moment with this situation, Cush over here, who continues to poison the mind of Saul against me. He's stirring things up. He's causing me trouble. So he says, deliver me from all who chase me and relentlessly pursue me. Rescue me, save me. Deliver, rescue me. Otherwise, he says in verse two, they will all catch up to me 
and they will rip me to shreds like a lion. They will tear me to bits and no one will be able to rescue me. David is in a sense saying, God, if you don't come through for me, if you don't show up, I'm done. And notice David is comparing his enemies, if you will, to animals. He's saying they're animalistic. All they want to do is destroy me and take me down. So God, I need you. And I'm going to trust you in this moment when Cush and so many others in my life right now are after me and all they want to do is destroy my life. You and I, when we are being attacked, when we are being opposed, when we are in danger, we need to do what David is doing here. And that is calling on the Lord to save us, to deliver us, to rescue us, and to declare to our personal God, God, I trust you. I trust you in this moment. But David also does something else very important. Notice beginning in verse 3. He says, but God, before I ask you to deal with others on my behalf, I need to make sure that I'm checking out my own heart before you. I don't want to play the hypocrite. And maybe, God, there's even something that you need to do in my life or that I need to see in my life that I need to deal with, that I need to correct in this moment. So so David is doing something very important here. It's something all of us should learn to do. Is that while we want God to maybe deal with others, that we also say, but God, I know that there's things maybe that I need to deal with. And so make sure, God, that, that you reveal those things to me. Because maybe there's a a reason in my life that you're allowing these things to happen. And I want to check my heart before you before we move on. So notice, David says in verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done what they say, what they are accusing me of, if I'm guilty of unjust actions, if I've wronged my ally or helped his lawless enemy, May an enemy relentlessly chase me and catch me. May he trample me to death and leave me lying dishonored in the dust. Selah, stop and think about that. You see, David is saying, God, if I have done these things that they're accusing me of, then let me pay the consequences for them. I'm no better than anyone else. And God, if I need to be taught something or if something needs to be corrected or changed in my life, let it happen. Listen, David is going through an exercise here that Jesus taught his own followers when he was here on earth. Remember what Jesus said in this moment? He says, before you go to your neighbor and ask them to take the speck out of their eye, take the beam out of your own. Jesus is saying, first, put the examination light on yourself before you go trying to fix and correct and change others. Or ask me as God to deal with them. Let's deal with you first. God isn't against us 
asking him to deal with others, as we're going to see. But it's really important that you and I make sure that when we're going through trials and tribulations, that maybe God wants us to learn something from that. And second of all, maybe before we start asking God to deal with others around us, that we need to make sure that we're willing for God to deal with us, to see if there's anything in our life that needs to be changed or corrected. But you know what? I think after going through this, at least with what Cush and others were accusing David of, David's conscience was clear. David realized, but the things that they're saying about me, God, they're not true. And so notice in verse 8 that David says, I am innocent, I am blameless. So therefore, based on that confidence, notice David now, beginning in verse 6, Ask God to act, to act and judge according to the integrity that God sees in him when he says in verse 6, stand up, rise up, wake up, God. And then in verse 7, take up once more your rightful place. God, show them who's boss. Show my enemies who's boss. Because God, my enemies are your enemies. Your enemies are the enemies of your people, God. And so notice how bold David is here. And why can he be this bold? Because he has a personal relationship with God and he knows, he knows God is for him. He knows God is with him. He knows God has a plan and purpose for his life that has yet to be fulfilled. Therefore, he can stand in hope even though God is allowing him to be attacked and to be slandered and to be gossiped about and to have all kinds of hateful things said about him, things that are not true. Have you ever been there? How hard is it as even a person of God, to, to hear things that come back to you that are not true about you, that others are saying. Lies, falsehood. And we know where it's all born out from, from the pits of hell itself, because the devil is not only a liar, he is an accuser, he is a slanderer. And so all of this comes from him, and it comes against the people of God and God himself. And David is saying, God, I know you are a just God. I, I know that. And so, God, I, I know that you're for me. So, God, will you act on my behalf? I know there's coming a day, God, where you're going to set things right, but could you speed up the timetable and do it now? <laughs> we all understand that, right? And that's where David is at. I, I love that phrase, take once more, verse 7, your rightful place. See, even now in the world today, amongst the people who live on planet Earth, God is not being honored as he should be in most places. And David is also sort of here prophetically looking into the future saying, God, I look forward to that day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are that now, but most people are not acknowledging it yet. 
I want you to show them, God, who you really are. I want you to come in power and great glory. Because notice here, David is saying in verse 7, he's talking about all the countries and nations assembled around you. And then notice verse 8, he says, the Lord judges the nations. And this is really in this psalm where David's hope is grounded in, it's grounded in, in one aspect of God in this psalm. And that is that God is a just God. And that David knows that one day God is going to judge the nations and he is so great that he can judge all the world and he can set the record straight of every nation, every person in every nation, every leader of every nation. God is big enough and great enough to do that because notice David calls God the exalted one in verse 8 and in verse 10. But then notice what he says also in verse 8. He says, God, you're great enough and big enough to judge the whole world, but you're personal enough to care about little old me. And so he says in verse 8, vindicate me, Lord, because I'm innocent. God wants you and I to live in that hope as well. That God is big enough and great enough to handle everything in the world. And one day... As the God of justice who's going to bring justice to this planet, he's going to set the record straight and right all the wrongs and all of that. But David is also recognizing something else. God cares about us as individuals. And God wants to bring justice to each and every one of us in our life. He wants to bring vindication for our faith in him. And one day he will do that and we can have our hope in that. Now, just like with David, it may come in our lifetime. We may not have to wait until eternity to see the record set straight and all the wrongs be made right, even as they've affected us. And and maybe we won't have to wait until then to be vindicated amongst certain people. God may do it now too. And David, because he has that personal relationship with God, is saying, God, would you show up? Would you even show my enemies like Cush that you're the boss, that you're in charge, that you love me and care about me, and that all the things that are being said about me are not true? Show up for me, God, because I am blameless. Oh, exalted one. Notice he says in verse 9, may the evil deeds of the wicked come to an end. May there be a time where all those who oppose God are once and for all put in their place. Make the innocent secure. Oh, righteous God. And again, that's where David's hope is at. Not that he's just a God of justice, but his justice is based on his righteousness. God does what is right all the time. He does what is best even for his people all the time. And that's the hope that God wants all of us to live in because notice what David says in verse 9 as well. You, God, and you alone examine the inner thoughts and motives. You test the hearts like no one else. No one knows the heart like God does. We talked about this last week with God testing David's heart in that situation. 
God is a tester of heart. And the reason why God and God alone is the judge and needs to be the judge, because notice, David's not taking judgment into his own hands. As we talked about last week, he's not taking vengeance into his own hands. He's saying, God, if something or someone needs to be judged, you do it. And the reason why that is is because only God knows everyone's heart. So therefore, only God can be the perfect, impartial judge in your life and in my life, in everyone's life. Only God knows what's really going on on the inside, you see. And that's why we've got to then leave the judgment up to God and why we've got to, though, hope that our God is a righteous God. He will, because he's righteous, set everything right one day. He will right all the wrongs that have ever been done on earth. He will make things right. He will vindicate who needs to be vindicated. And he will bring proper judgment upon all those who need proper judgment. Are we living in that hope? You see. Notice in verse 10, the exalted God is my shield. Not just my shelter, as he said in verse 1, but my shield, my defense, my protector, and my preserver the one who delivers the morally upright. Verse 11, David again declares, God is a just judge. Oh, we need to cling to that. A perfectly just judge. No one else is perfectly just like God is. And can I say, you and I, we can be reminded of the justice of God every day, even when we contemplate and think about our own salvation. Because God is a righteous and just judge, God, though he wanted to have a relationship with us, he simply could not pretend as if sin was not there and that it needed to be dealt with. Because his truth is that there can be no remission of sin apart from the shedding of blood and that the blood of bulls and goats and all of those Old Testament sacrifices according to the writer of the book of Hebrews could never take away sin. The only sacrifice that could be the remedy for us to bring us to God was that Christ, our Lord and Savior, the just, dies for the unjust. And therefore, when God the Father allowed his son to be put on that cross and to die for our sins, let's not forget, that's the righteousness and justice and judgment of God being poured out on his innocent son so that you and I could have eternal life. That's justice. That's justice. That's how just God is. He couldn't just wink at sin. He couldn't just look at us and pretend like it doesn't exist. He needed to deal with it. And he dealt with it in such a radical way by crucifying and allowing his own son to be crucified because he loves us in such a radical way. So that his love and his justice could both be satisfied. 
So notice what David says. Because I think sometimes even as Christians, we think God is passive concerning righteousness and wickedness. And David's like, oh, no, he's not. God is not lukewarm when it comes to righteousness and wickedness. Notice what David says. He's angry throughout the day. Not like our anger. But if a person does not repent, God sharpens his sword, prepares to shoot his bow, prepares to use deadly weapons against him. He gets ready to shoot flaming arrows. A stark reality of certain painful judgment unfolds for the one who does not repent. The righteous God, David says, is a warrior God. Of this truth, we should have no doubt. Again, think about our own salvation. God is not lukewarm about... Listen, of all... God alone knows how destructive sin is. God sees the destructiveness of sin in every human being's life every day around the world. God absorbs all of that wickedness and evil every day. God experiences more in one 24-hour period than you and I would in a thousand years. And God sees how sin and evil and wickedness not only destroys the life of the one doing it, but destroys other lives around it. God's not passive about that. God's not lukewarm. God cares. And that's why then, beginning in verse 14 through 16, David is basically saying, God, even today, has built in, or I like to say baked in, consequences of sin, even into the fabric of his creation today. Yes, there's coming a day where justice is going to happen and judgment's going to happen and everything's going to be made right and all of that. But you and I have to understand that even now, oh, there's consequences to doing our own thing and going our own way. God has built that in. And that's what David says. He says, the one who conceives destructive plans and gives birth to harmful lies, he digs a pit, verse 15, falls into the hole he's made. He becomes the victim of his own destructive plans and the violence he intended for others falls on his own head. Listen, the Bible tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible tells us God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that's what he will reap. It is the law of reaping and sowing or sowing and reaping. That's built in. So when you and I like even David and other people did, begin to envy the wicked because we look at them and maybe all that we think that they have and all that they're enjoying of this world. Again, we have to remind ourselves that's the only heaven they're ever going to know unless they repent and turn to Christ. And they're not as happy as you may think they are. They're miserable. They're unfulfilled. They're unsatisfied. They're empty. Because the only way to fill that emptiness and that hole is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so no matter how much they may look like they have and how much power and how much worldly prestige and how much you know, worldly wealth they have, they're not happy because they don't have Jesus. That's built in, you see. And that's why God tells us, don't envy 
the worldly and the wicked and the evil people around you, no matter what it looks like they're experiencing, because they're not happy. They're dying inside. They're miserable because they keep trying to fill that God-shaped hole with worldly things that never satisfy. That's why this psalm actually ends on a very high and celebratory note. It ends with thanksgiving and praise. Why? Because David is realizing that the despair and the discouragement and the disillusionment and the doubt that he may have by being allowed to go through what he's going through and and all these people against him and whatever, but that's all been transformed by his relationship with his God by being reminded that God wants us to live in the hope and that hope that God alone can give us then can be expressed in praise because I know my God. I know I can trust him. I know that he is for me and I know that he is a just and righteous God who will do what is right by me and what is right for me at all times. And even though I might not see it yet, there will come a day where your vindication and my vindication will happen. And God wants us to live in that hope. And because God gives us that hope, even now, we should express that hope in praise. And that's what David does. Notice what he says. I will thank the Lord for his justice. Because I know he's just. And I know he's going to judge one day. I know he's going to set things right one day. In my life and in your life. I will sing praises to the sovereign Lord, the most high God, El Yon Jehovah. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. In fact, he's used the phrase exalted God twice already. David wants us to know there's no one that's going to keep God from doing what God wants to do. He is the sovereign master of the universe that he created. He is the highest. He is the greatest. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. He is the most high God. And David is in awe by the fact that he has a relationship, a personal relationship with the highest person in the universe and that he's able to pour out his heart to the highest person in the universe. And that he knows as he's doing it that the highest person in the universe cares and loves him. And that he's for him. And that he's going to take care of him. He's going to watch over him. He's going to defend him, protect him, and preserve him. And that he's going to make things right in David's life one day. If not here, throughout eternity. And God wants you and I to have that same hope to live in and to live by every day. Maybe right now, things aren't going very well in your life. You may be like David and you may be going through a lot of struggle or a season of great challenge and and trial. But God wants you, like David, even in the midst of your trials, and your struggles to sing 
In spite of our troubles, we should sing by faith. No matter what we are facing, we ought to continue to sing praise to God, giving him everything that we have because God has given us hope that all things will be made right one day for us, in us, and around us. That's the hope that David had. And that's, I think, why God wanted him to sing this and write this down one day so that for many thousands of years, God's people could turn to Psalm 7 and realize the hope that we have because we have a righteous and just God. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. Listen, I, I want this ending of our nine o'clock service to be a, a time where our despairs, our doubts, our discouragements, our disillusionments are transformed by God into hope. God wants us to leave, live in hope and leave here today in hope that things will be made right one day. And as we sing this last song, I want to invite especially any of you that, that may be really going through something right now. You don't have to share with me or anybody else here today what it is. God knows. God knows our hearts. He knows what we're going through. But I feel led of the Lord that after our song is over and after our time of worship is over, I, as your pastor, would like to pray over all of you that come today. That that, that, that hope would just be confirmed in you. That it would be strengthened in you. And that no matter what season you're going through and what struggle you're going through, you can continue to cling to that hope. And that you can allow that hope that God is giving you to be expressed in praise. I love that. Because sometimes we have to bring God the sacrifice of praise. We don't feel like it, but we know that God has given us that hope. And even in our seasons of struggle and trial and tribulation, we can praise our God. Because we know the day of judgment and justice and God's righteousness is coming one day. It's coming one day. So would you stand with me and join me in just a quick prayer before we move into our worship time this morning. Father God, we all could use a dose of hope today. We live in a world of hopelessness because so many, Lord, do not have a relationship with you. They do not have any hope that one day all things will be made right and that there will be vindication. All they look to is their earthly life. That's all they think they have. And so if they can't find justice now, they think that justice will always escape them. But God, for the Christian, we know that even if we don't see justice in some way in our lifetime, oh, we will definitely see it in eternity. And God you will vindicate all of your people one day. Lord, may you birth that hope 
in some today? Would you continue to build that hope and strengthen that hope in others today so that, Lord, all of us may leave here today in the hope you want us to live in and breathe in every day? Help us, God, to trust you enough to give you everything, to give you all of our stuff today. Because, Lord, you are our shelter and you are our shield. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.